Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. How many of you know that there are certain words or objects or images that are really loaded? You know what I'm talking Like there are times in life where if you say a word... It has like some, sometimes like dramatic effect or meaning or there's something in your own life that an object of insignificance to others that have dramatic meaning and, and, and it's loaded with lots of imagery or ideas or stories. Like for example, if I were to say the word immigration or refugees, it's loaded right now. Would you agree? I mean, it's heated. Some of you are completely for what President Trump has decided to do Others of us are literally protesting um, at various places as, we, as much as we can. And I just want to say, like, I say the word immigration, and it comes right now with lots of baggage. It comes with political ideology. It comes with uh, hearts torn and open and broken. Would you guys agree that that's a loaded term right now? And let me just say that while we're talking about immigration. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But just real quick, um, my understanding of the scriptures is that uh, we are t- to continue the task of Jesus as the church. And, if, and I'm just gonna, this is Darren speaking. The scriptures talks a lot about the suffering, the poor, the marginalized, the foreigner, the stranger, the refugee. Jesus himself was a refugee. As the church, we have to love. Not passively, but actively. And we don't have to, um, we don't have to uh, make our only fight a political one, but sometimes we need as Christians to make political amendments and policies in effect to our Christian beliefs. Does that make sense? So all to say, as the church, we must fight to welcome in the suffering to mend the wounds of the hurting, to say, despite your religious differences, despite your cultural practices, I'm willing to share the abundance of our nation for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, so loaded words are all around us. And sometimes uh, we don't realize how loaded they are. And there's also images. I want to talk about some of the loaded things. Like, for example... This sits in, on, uh, in our office, and this is, what is this? It's a jar of coins. Great job, front row. You are a keen observer of what this is. But sometimes there are things that are more than what they seem. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, this is clearly not a jar of coins to me, if I bring it up here. To me, um, in 2012, uh, we started... A, uh, a building campaign for a building we ended up not getting. But uh, the first gift that was ever given to the Garden Church when we started this Vision Builder, it was, wasn't called Vision Builder, it was something else, was given by a five or six-year-old named Joshua Beanie. And he brought his piggy bank and gave it as the first fruits of our church giving to a building campaign. I, I couldn't put it in the building campaign. I said, this has to be a symbol of what generosity looks like when a five and six-year-old leads the way for generous giving. That says something, doesn't it? So is that more than a jar of coins? Yes. Um, There's this little heart I have in a safe. This is, uh, Valentine's is coming up. And um, 
This is just a, a little tiny piece of fabric sewn together with some cotton stuffed in it. And uh, it's just a little heart, but sometimes it's more than just a little heart. Like uh, my wife, you guys heard my story, really my wife's story. When we moved here, my wife had a heart condition that was terrifying and caused all sorts of fear and anxiety in our life. She was always in the hospital, was undiagnosed for a few months, and then that condition went away. But it came back, oddly enough, in 2012, and it was terrifying. I mean, we were young, and it uh, significantly changed how we were living. It brought all sorts of fear, and she was going to have to have a heart procedure. And one of our friends made this, a bunch of these hearts and passed them out so people could pray for her and her heart. And every time I look at this, I am reminded of that season of pain and suffering and, and questioning, God, where the heck are you? Um, every time I look at this, I'm, I'm also reminded of community and how community came around us to support, God bless you, um, to support us. That was a really good sneeze. That would be like, if we were going to grade it, that was like legit sneeze, not to single you out, but bless the sneeze. So, um, but I think of community, but then also her heart condition was healed. And it's, to me, it's, it's a symbol of, of so much more. So oftentimes you can see a jar of coins, but it has such significant depth. Or you could see a, a felt cotton stuffed heart. But to me, I'm going to treasure this and keep it in a safe because of the significant meanings, meaning it has. And today, brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about two very familiar Christian words that I don't think we realize the significance. And we're just gonna anchor today in two simple words and look at the implications for us as a church in Ephesians chapter one. So you've already been standing and sitting, so I'm not gonna have you stand and read this week. But if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians. And we're gonna go to chapter one. And we'll reread what we went over last week, but we're gonna, we're gonna look, anchor in verse two and go from there. How are we doing? 9.15, how are we doing? Thank you very much. Here we go. Verse one, Ephesians chapter one. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Last week we talked about what it means to be holy people. Verse two, check this out. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace in peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a left. Let's go to Romans chapter one. I'm trying to get you used to, and you're not taking a left. Scroll, scroll. <laughs> you guys reading along with our fast? We're in a 21-day fast in prayer right now as a church. Um, and so we're, I think, 14 days in. We're gonna have one more week. So if you wanna join us, join us this week as we've been praying. All sorts of fun stuff's going on. Um, but there's a reading, read along um, that we provide for this. Romans chapter one. Uh, just giving you guys some time to get there for those of us that are passing along. Uh, verse seven, it says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter one. Can we race again? Are we ready? Go, go, go. 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse three. Words are on the screen Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians chapter one. I'm just gonna speed through it. The words will be on the screen. Uh, verse two. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul was not in good standings with Corinthians. There was some conflict about his authority. He was calling them out on some issues. But if there was ever a church he was really 
angry with. It was Galatia, the church in Galatia. It's the Galatians church. And check it out. He's about to throw it down in the Galatian letter. He's literally going to call him out. He's going to say, you're preaching another gospel. What the heck are you doing? And look at how he starts off this confrontation. Grace, verse 3, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on, and he writes letters uh, to his dear friends later on in life. And uh, in 1 Timothy, it says this. When you put that slide up, it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, he adds another word, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to drive this in. In uh, Philemon, or no, not Philemon, let's go to Titus chapter 1, verse 4, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Philemon, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how obsessed Paul is with grace and peace? It is in every letter he writes. So these are familiar words to many Christians, but what does it mean? Because it's simply more, it's not simply just a greeting. It's, it means something much more significant for Christian life. So what is grace? What is grace? So here's the Greek word for grace. It's karen is one way to pronounce it, or sorry, charis, or, or, or charis. Um, and and um, that's the Greek word for grace. But the common greeting in Greek, in the first century, was this word, which is karen, or karen. And so what Paul does, look at that. Paul kind of, that's the common word, but Paul uses the other word. Go back to charis, or charis. Paul uses this word. So it's familiar in look, in letters, but the meaning is different. And so it was subtle and subversive, and Paul was doing something that anyone that was was reading, that would be reading this letter would have paid attention to what Paul was doing because he does it on purpose. He uses this word on purpose. And so Paul tweaks it, creating a different type of reflection that we need to pause with. So here's what some of the scholars define grace as. And I want you to just think, this is his greeting. So as we, as we define these words, this is the deeper meaning behind the word grace. So one scholar says this, grace is the free, spontaneous, unmerited favor of God and peace to you. Is that good? The free, spontaneous, unmerited favor of God and peace to you. Go to the next one. I love this one. Gordon Fee, he says, the sum total of God's activity toward, toward his human creatures found in the word grace. God has given himself to his people bountifully and mercifully in Christ. Nothing deserved, nothing can be achieved. Grace. Okay, go to the next one. This is, this is my favorite, partly because of the guy's name. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. That which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance. A favor done without any expectation of return. The absolutely free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Unearned and unmerited favor and peace to you. Oh, isn't that good? Grace is receiving something. It's sitting down and just saying thank you for all that God has done, all that he has uh, been willing to give for us to be in right relationship with him. That is what Paul 
is referring to, this idea of unmerited favor. But, but grace also has other meanings because Paul uses the word grace over a hundred times in his letters. And he uses it for various reasons and, and meanings. And he, he kind of creates it as he goes. He makes uh, it more significant because in church, we might have heard of the phrase unmerited favor. But let's look at some of the other ways Paul uses the word grace in other letters to help bring a better definition for us this morning. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and here Paul will use grace in a different way. And I'm going to read verse 9. We're going to focus on verse 10, but let's, re- let's read through it. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Uh, verse 9, it says, For I am the least of the, of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I, I persecuted the church of God. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. It transformed me, he says. No, I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, or the Greek word for with, is within me. So here Paul says essentially that he was given a grace that was within that was in him and with him that empowered him to work hard so it's this this empowering um, force within him to work hard that's what that's what he uses that's how he's, he defines grace in this particular uh, passage of scripture go to second corinthians chapter 8 this is one of my my favorite passages of church life second corinthians chapter 8 um Verse one, and I'm gonna just bounce around. Here's, I wanna just look at grace. We're trying to give you multifaceted definition of the word. It says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So God gave them something, right? So a gift here. And listen to what he says. He says, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty so this church is going through hell and they're really poor, uh, welled up in rich generosity. Something happened. God gave this poor, suffering church something that created generosity. And it says, um, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. So God, they gave money to this, the cause of the poor that Paul was collecting for us. Verse six, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he's telling the Corinthians church, hey, give some money because this church gave. But since you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul calls giving as a church grace. Grace of giving. And he goes on in verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul here uses this strange word grace to talk about this empowering ability that grace is some, somewhat connected to generosity, but grace is this empowering gift within you that empowers you to share your resources with those who are in need. He uses grace as that definition, that it's some type of work within you that God gives you to share with those who are in need. And the church did this in Macedonia. And Paul writes to 2 Corinthians 
to talk about it. In, in 2 Timothy, just to keep on this, Paul talks about being strong in grace. Like an athlete is strong in working his body out to compete. That the church is to be strong in grace. It's this, this life force that enables us to work. It's this energy that enables us to share our resources. Um, it's this benevolent uh, God who gives everything. It's this unmerited favor. Great. Do you see how complex this word is? Am I, the, am I confusing you more? Do you see how complex this, this word is? And how multifaceted and loaded this definition is. And yet Paul uses it so frequently. And if we were to define the word before this message, maybe, we might not actually have an accurate view of the word. I know I didn't. And I'm a pastor. Grace is uh, this ability to accomplish what you could never accomplish on your own strength. One of the early church fathers said, grace is the divine energy working in the soul. The divine energy working in the soul. So it's quite mystical. But let me just give you kind of my working definition. And then we'll, we'll kind of move on to peace and then we'll talk about the implications. Um, grace is the lavish, opulent, raw, untamed, scandalous blessing of God. Unearned, undeserved, illogical, disproportionate, poured out through Christ over every facet of your life and the living presence of the creator God deep inside of you poured out through the spirit of God in a flood of joy, transcendent peace and limitless power to be and do and live up to God's calling on your life. This and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you need to hear this? How many of you need to hear that um, God just wants to give you a gift? He just wants you to sit down. How many of you know that in life there are moments where you just need to sit down because you're tired and you're exhausted and you're busy and you're doing and life has been hellish and all you need to be reminded of is, is the unmerited favor that God has over your life and you just need to sit down and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. This is what Paul is doing. It's like this, it's like this prayer and like this command and this blessing, grace and peace to you. So that's grace. That's one way to define grace, and hopefully it's creating a little bit wider definition for you. But what is peace? What is peace um, according to what Paul says? So peace in the English definition is the absence of conflict, which how many of you would say that would be amazing? Thank you, Jesus. The absence, that just give me the absence of, of conflict. But that's not the definition that the, the Hebrews had and, or, or what Paul is referring to. So one scholar says this, uh, peace, according to Paul, is harmony, tranquility, wholeness, well-being, salvation of the total person, reconciliation of persons and societies to God as well as to one another, peace at the deepest level. Oh, isn't that good? Um, Paul writes in Greek, but theologians say he thinks in Hebrew. So although he's writing in Greek, he is a rabbi and he is shaped by the Old Testament, by the Hebrew scriptures. And so um, Paul is, is using a Greek word here, but we have to connect it to what the Hebrew definition of peace is. And that, that word is shalom. Can you say shalom? So shalom was the common greeting. So in Hebrew. So Paul takes the common greeting in Greek, subverts it, and kind of gives it his own translation, grace. And then he takes the common greeting in Hebrew and 
applies its meaning. Because we say shalom, even today Jewish people will say to one another shalom. Um, and what they're doing is they're writing, they're, they're speaking in shorthand of Genesis 1 and 2. So when a, a Jewish person in the first century would say shalom as they greet you, they are referring to the narrative of Genesis 1 and 2 when God created Adam and Eve and everything was without sin and everything was perfect. There was perfect harmony with God and uh, creation, with ourselves in our own lives. We had perfect loving relationship with ourself, with each other, with God, and with all creation. That's shalom. This, this Genesis 1 and 2, that the garden is where humanity flourished. And, and that when, when, when a, a Jewish person would say shalom to you, they are wishing upon you um, the Genesis 1 and 2 narrative over your life, that you would live the way you were intended to live in the first place with all the parts and pieces aligned to the way God intended it to be in your own life. Is that good? Come on, peace. I want some of that. <laughs> Harmony with my spouse 24-7. With my son, dear Lord, <clears throat> I am the boss of you, Ezra. He always says, you're not the boss of me. I'm like, I am, actually. Stop arguing. I love you too much to argue. Um, so it's this, this idea of Genesis 1 and 2. But let's go there real quick because there is this sense of harmony, tranquility, well-being. And just stay with me because this is going to get really cool in just a second. I know it. It's, I just, I know where we're going. I can just say, I've seen the movie. So you got to stay to the end. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 28. So there's this phrase in Hebrew, tikkun alam, which means to repair the world. And the Jewish consciousness had this idea of what shalom represented, even in Genesis 1 and 2. And it comes from Genesis 1, verse 28. So let's just read that. It says this. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So in the Jewish consciousness, they have these two words, subdue and rule, which is basically defined as to care and steward creation on behalf of God. So human, humans were... Um, we're, we're given the task to create environments for the rest of creation to flourish. That that's shalom. Shalom is that the garden wasn't everywhere yet, but it was through humanity's stewardship and care. Humanity was going to extend the garden of Eden, Eden around the rest of the earth. This is, this is how they view Genesis 1 and 2. But then what happened? The story gets corrupted by sin. But the, the idea of shalom is that humans were commissioned with the caregiving and stewarding task of bringing shalom, God's way of life, to the places on earth where God's way of life was not yet there. This is in Genesis 1. So peace is, is about you being reconciled to God, to other people, to your own self, and to all creation. But peace is not passive. Where grace is sit down and receive and say thank you. Peace is active. 
Peace is that thing that is within you that moves you off the couch. And when you see the world, you realize there are people that are hungry. There are people that are homeless. There are people, children that are enslaved. There are people that are used um, for sex purposes and they're trafficked around the world. And that should be outlawed. There are refugees that need to be welcomed. There are policies that need to be shaped and amended. There are systems that need to be reformed. The peace is the energy within you to extend shalom to all of God's children. So when, when Paul says grace, he's in shorthand recalling the whole gospel narrative that it's through Christ that we receive all that is good from God. And when he says peace, he's recalling the narrative of the, the entire scripture that everything isn't in its proper place. We have work to do, grace and peace to you. Because sometimes you need to sit, but other times you need to stand and get to work. This is, this is how Paul starts the letter. <laughs> Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul says God our Father, let me just, this is so amazing because we're talking about Ephesus. Ephesus was the epicenter for Artemis and Artemis had statues around the city like there are Starbucks and 7-Elevens around our city. I mean, it was, there was a God everywhere and a statue, a deity everywhere, but nobody, not even the Jews referred to God as our father. They did in the Old Testament as a metaphor father of Israel, but when Jesus comes onto the scene and says, call God daddy, that had radical implications, but that's what Paul does. The grace and peace is found in the source who is our Trinity. And how do we relate to this God? All the other people said, well, we don't know where God, what God thinks of us. We have to offer all this stuff so that we can be in the presence of the deity and give more and more and more time, energy, resources and stuff. But Paul says, no, grace and peace from God our Father, our Daddy. It's so subversive. It's an invitation into relationship with the creator of the universe who wants you to have a relationship like a perfect father has with a son or a daughter. And he says, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is, we just read over it as the introduction. This is so subversive because Lord, um, at the time that Paul was writing, there was only one Lord and that was Caesar. Caesar was Lord. Paul and early Christians robbed the, the, uh, the name and the, the mantle and the honor of Caesar and give it to Jesus. They basically steal, they steal what, what was given to Caesar and say, no, we're going to use this for Jesus because we got we to gotta make sure we're, we don't believe he's Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when it says um, Christ, that was a title that would have meant king. So we have one Lord, he's Jesus, and he's King Jesus. And so God is revealed as this Trinitarian God in the first introduction, and it's an invitation into relationship. So in the first century, the, this is like a letter that would have been getting you killed because you're saying Caesar's not Lord. And to the Jews, you're saying that Yahweh has been made, the anointed one is Jesus Christ who was crucified. So this is quite controversial. Does that make sense? But it's also the source of grace and peace. It's the source of where grace and peace comes from. It comes from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how the letter begins. We're two, chapter, two verses in, excuse me, to a long series on Ephesians. And Paul begins with, hi guys, what's up? No, he begins with grace and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. How many of us need grace and peace right now? Yeah. A couple of observations I just want to land on. First, Paul experienced grace and peace for himself. Paul had experienced this. Nobody writes letters and includes, I mean, he almost begins and ends every letter with grace and peace. No one writes that intentionally unless they had experienced something radical from God that would cause him to begin every letter. Paul is writing Ephesians in jail, prison, waiting his execution. And his, his prayers, his greetings in waiting his execution are grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing we have to recognize in this invitation or in this, in this introduction is it is an invitation that you can experience grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can experience the unmerited favor, the energy within you to work in your soul, to work hard, to give generously, to do work that you can never do on your own strength, to receive and simply say thank you, and the, the energy to, to continue and extend the life of God everywhere, every day you live, to everyone you meet, peace. And you can have reconciliation with your soul. You can have reconciliation with other people and God and all creation. This is the invitation. First, that we must, as a church, be people who regularly experience the grace and peace of God. And that's, for some of us, what we need this morning. It's just to receive grace and peace. To have someone look at, I mean, imagine if you're, the way you started greeting each other was, hey, grace and peace. Grace and peace. The second observation is there's power in our words. <laughs> Would you agree? There is power in the words we choose to use in our everyday, ordinary life. Paul doesn't start off the letter by saying, what's up, Romans? Or sup, Corinth? I got something to say. No, he says grace and peace. So your words matter because your words have power. And I really want to emphasize this. We'll talk about this in the coming months as we look at what Paul does. But death and life are the power of the tongue. God speaks and the world is created. Our words to one another and ourselves have the power to create new worlds in our lives. So I guess the question I have is how are you? No. What words are you using in life? With people, with friends. What words are you using with your spouse? What are the words you use over with your kids? Probably the hardest one would be, what are the words that you're speaking over your own life? If there's power that shapes us, because I believe actually we, the words we choose to use will create words. Like I grew up in a household where my mom said, you can be anything you want, you want to be in the world. And she said, you can be anything and I'll support you no matter what that is. She would literally say, I'll support you if you want to be the, a ditch digger or an astronaut. 
I don't know why she chose ditch digger, but it was like, that was her famous line, or an astronaut. And she says, as long as you do it with all your heart and you be the best ditch digger that you can be, I will support you. I believed that I could be anything I wanted to be because that was spoken over my life. I was, I was washing the dishes last night and I just finished eating with my son and my wife and I just, I was overwhelmed with joy at witnessing what my son was doing that day and I just went over to him and I got on my knees and I looked him in the face and, I, and he could barely sit still and I just said, boy, I love your heart. I love your kindness. You are an incredible son. I'm so proud of you. I just spoke life over him. And so many parents, we say, oh, that's terrible, Jack. He's a terrorist. Those little toddlers, you know. We do this, don't we? Or what about your spouse? I mean, I am so convicted. I was told early on as a husband, we should, it says in Ephesians, call out the best in our spouses. Remind them of who they are becoming in Jesus. Be a reflection of what they could be in the midst of when they're not being that at all. Amen? Lord, give me grace. Keep it down. (laughs) Imagine if when we, we're about to, we go into that mode and you know there's, about to, there's conflict. Imagine if it was, hey, babe, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Imagine what it would look like to engage. What about the words we have spoken over ourselves? I'm not good enough. We talked about this last week. That list, I'm not blank enough. What if it was, no, 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 God, help me to receive grace and what are, the, what are the words we're speaking over? Because words have power. That's just one observation. Paul has, is being very intentional with every stroke that we can learn from. Words have power. What are the words that are shaping your life? What if we um, em- embrace that reality and begin to spoke life over each other, over our families, over our coworkers, over the spaces we, we operate and bring this around, which is the last question or last observation. I think I have a question on there. Um, we can become conduits of grace and peace. I think this is what Paul's getting at. Once you've experienced it for yourself and you become a dispenser, you become the UPS delivery guy of grace and peace. That's what Paul is. He's just reminding us it's all about grace and peace. Brothers and sisters, what does our country need now more than ever? Grace and peace. What does social media need now more than ever? (laughs) Can I get an amen? It's toxic. Don't engage. What if every text, email, phone call, conversation, online discussion, what if the guy, once he hit you after he had 30 seconds of the horn behind you, what if your first response was grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. We become conduits of grace and peace. And this is the beauty of it that we get to bring this wherever we go. But first and foremost, you have to be open to receive it, right? So you'd have to be willing to receive something that you can't possess on your own strength. You have to be humble. You have to say, I need it. I need it. Help me, Lord, and receive. So is there anyone here tired? Anyone exhausted? Anyone burnt out? Anyone full of anxiety? Anyone tired of the religious games? Trying to work so hard to get to a certain place? Is there anyone here like that this morning? Can we just... That's it? Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) Receive grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive that which causes joy, pleasure, gratification, favor, and acceptance. The favor 
done with an without any expectation of return, the absolutely free expression of the love of God finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver, unearned and merited favor and peace. Receive the life that you were intended to live in the first place and extend that life everywhere you go from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.